details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Some people are just too stubborn to know when to quit. And this guy just happens to be one of them. He's been beaten down repeatedly by God's practical jokes. He's been banished to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. From somewhere in desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. Yes. And here we go again. It's another edition of Michael Graff in Exile. It is Friday, January 8th, 2010. And uh, here we are. Contact information for us, mike at kmgx.com, my email address. And uh, AOL Instant Messenger, should you want to send me a message... We're up and hanging out over there at Michael Groff Show. Right. Of course, all the other contact information is always available at michaelgroff.com. And, um, <clears throat> of course, uh, we're up on, you know, Facebook and all that exciting stuff, too. So just look for me. Even though I am vowing, I still say I'm going to delete that crap, but we'll see. Man, I see that global warming is just out of control. I, I, we have another story today about scientists that are advising everybody. Listen, global warming, man, it's real. It's it's really happening. It's wind chills right now. I was just looking at um, North Dakota. I think earlier today, Minot had a wind chill of minus 45 degrees. to sell that global warming right about now, isn't it? When this is one of the coldest winters in a hundred years. Man, it's getting warmer all the time. Man, well, think of it this way then. Imagine how cold it would be if it wasn't for global warming. I wonder how much snow we'd be buried in then. Of course, I'm sitting here in Phoenix, Arizona. It's, uh, it's 68 degrees outside at the time I'm recording this, so. Whatever. Enjoy your global warming. And I just, I was reading this. Uh, I have to read you this. This is from the New York Times. And believe it or not, over at the New York Times, they actually have 
a conservative, well, a sort of pseudo-conservative op-ed columnist over there. This guy is, um, he's like their token conservative that they have on staff at the New York Times. This guy named David Brooks. So I was reading this. Man, what a, what an incredibly pompous column, though, that he wrote here. And it does tie into a little bit to global warming. It also ties into a lot of other stuff that's going on right now. But before I get to that, let me mention there's a, um, it's a new interesting poll out. This is, um, you know, every year, I think this is from uh, the Gallup poll, and they, they're evaluating the general tone of the country. Conservative, liberal, moderate, how people identify themselves. And there's a new poll out today that only... Only 21% of Americans identify themselves as liberal. About about 40%. About 40% identify themselves as moderate or moderate conservative. And then some 35% or so identify themselves as conservative. And the trend continues to shift toward conservative. And that's something that should be noted is that here in in the United States anyway, for for the last uh, several years now, the overall trend has been that people are beginning to identify themselves more as conservatives. And that the nation is shifting to somewhat conservative. So in spite of the fact that all we hear about is how, oh, no, 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 this is a... See, we elected Barack Obama. That shows that we're, uh, you know, we're shifting more liberal. No, it doesn't necessarily show that. It shows that the American people, the American public, voted for the guy that promised the most free stuff, which is what happens in a declining democracy. In a declining democracy, the the people will elect the guy that promises them the most free stuff, the greatest largesse from the treasury. And that's what's been going on. And the American people are, uh, they're, they're clearly seeing the error of their ways right now in the fact that the president's approval rating continues to decline and the fact that we have uh, Democrats that are defecting to the Republican Party because they know what's right around the corner. And it's evident in the fact that um, right now, well, you, also you look at congressional approval ratings. The congressional approval rating is in the toilet. And people more and more are identifying themselves as conservatives. And it's just, this is just another example of the shift that's going on. This is the paradigm shift that the country is undergoing. And this is what has Democrats freaking out right now. And they know that they need to get this health care legislation done. They need to get a lot of different things done in the next 10 months or so. Because once those midterm elections hit, it is very possible that many of them will be losing their jobs. It's very possible that there's going to be a rather high turnover in Congress come November. And I, for one, uh, applaud it. In fact, I say throw everybody out. Republicans, Democrats, throw them all out. Get rid of everybody. Let's uh, start fresh. Well, just about everybody. There's people in there that I actually do like. But if, if everybody that was in there, if all 535 people lost their jobs, all right, if all the 535 lost their jobs, um then uh, I would be just fine with that. Now, speaking of job loss, and I'm going to get to this David Brooks thing in just a second, but speaking of job loss, we have some news out. Uh, Today, um, there's some new uh, statistics out here. The unemployment stats, 85,000 jobs were lost in the month of December. 
which was more than expected. Unemployment went down to 10% on the nose. It went down from 10.2% to 10% exactly. But 535,000 fewer people looking for work. And, and now here's the thing. The unemployment statistics are a little bit misleading. The unemployment numbers. Because they're actually higher than 10%. Because what happens is after a while, people fall off the unemployment dole. And then some people just stop looking for work. Some people just flat out give up. And so the unemployment statistics are, are slightly skewed to be lower than what they are. The, the real unemployment numbers are, are significantly, probably around 11, 12%, maybe even higher. And in some states, unemployment values are up around 15 or 17%. Well, you, unemployment in Detroit, for example, is over 20%, it's like 22%. So the unemployment numbers that you have that the, that the government is giving out here, they're a little bit misleading, but still 10% is insanely high, especially when we were promised, when we were told, oh, no, 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 the unemployment numbers, we think they're going to top out about 8.5%, maybe 9%, but they went over 10%. And, and like I said, they're really, um, technically, they're higher than that. All right. Well, uh, it's a big weekend ahead. Uh, the NFL playoffs get started this weekend. We'll have a complete look at all that. Uh, I have my picks in in hand here. I really, I have to tell you that I'm I'm very leery about some of these picks. This is going to be a tough weekend to pick, mainly because the NFL right now parity is certainly out there. Um, yeah, the teams that are at the top are pretty good, and the, but man, there's so many bad teams and there's so many bad quarterbacks in the league. Really, Alex Sanchez is the starting quarterback in a playoff game, in an NFL playoff game. It's hard to believe that the Jets actually made it to the playoffs with that guy at quarterback. It just goes to show you that if you have a decent defense, and actually the Jets have a very good defense and a good running game, um, you can still probably make it to the playoffs. But man, man, are, is that, that guy is terrible. All right. So I'll give you some of my picks for the uh, for the NFL playoffs coming up a little bit later on in the program. And um, I mentioned this, I think I mentioned this yesterday, kind of in passing, but I want to point this out. Andre Dawson was put into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. He was selected with, uh, let's see, 78, almost 78% of the vote. And he was the only one inducted into the Hall of Fame this year after several after several tries on the ballot. You know, I, I, I tell you what, um, why Andre Dawson, why it took this long to get him in, I don't, I don't understand. This guy was, man, he could mash. Oh, what a great player. I mean, even though, well, it just speaks for itself. He, he won an NL MVP when he was on the Chicago Cubs when they were a last place team. And that just tells you how good this guy was. And it's almost impossible for a guy to get an MVP when uh, he's on a last place team. I think A-Rod almost won it once when he was on the Rangers and they were like in last place. But really, it's almost impossible to get the MVP because everybody has this attitude. How can you be the most valuable player when you're on a last place team? Which I think is ridiculous. If you're the most valuable player in the league, see, baseball is a team sport. And if you're hitting, if you hit 330 with 50 home runs and 135 RBIs, but the rest of your team sucks... Well, then it's not your fault. You're still a valuable player. You're probably still, you're probably the most valuable player because if you went to any other team that even had a pulse, you'd probably elevate them to championship level. I mean, imagine how bad the Texas Rangers would have been for some of those years without A-Rod. So, and without him, you know, putting steroids in his ass. Allegedly. 
We don't even have to really say allegedly, do we? I mean, he did sort of, it's, it's out there. No. All right, so uh, Andre Dawson, but guess who was not put in? And uh, this is something, this is the, I, I make this case every single year. This is something I talk about every year. So this is my little mandatory rant. But why Burt Blylevin isn't in the Hall of Fame, I'm still, I still can't tell you why. I don't get it. Burt Blylevin needs to be in the Hall of Fame. No, really, he he needs, uh, the guy had, what, over 3,700 strikeouts? I don't get why he's not in the Hall of Fame. He missed it by, I think, three votes or four votes. Man, Fred McGriff was eligible. He had 493 home runs in his career. He's not a Hall of Famer. I, I think he's borderline, but to me, I've always said, if you have to think of a guy as borderline Hall of Fame, then they're not a Hall of Fame player. They're not Hall of Fame caliber. Um, let's see who else was, uh, well, Mark McGuire, he only got like 23% of the vote. Look, Mark McGuire is never going to the hall of fame. Number one, I don't even know if he's a hall of famer anyway. The, listen, I know the guy hit what? 587 home runs. He had a ton of home runs, right? He had a, a, a lot of home runs, but really is he a hall of fame caliber player? He hit all those home runs, but many times with a batting average of about 230. I know his rookie season, he had 49 home runs, but he did the juice. And if he would just admit that he did the juice, maybe people would not have a problem uh, putting him in the Hall of Fame. If he was just like some of these other guys and he just came out, if he was like uh, Gary Sheffield, if he was like Giambi, he just came out and admitted it. I, I think people would probably, the media might just put down the grudge and just say, all right, we'll put him in there. I mean, the only guy that's definitely going to be the big controversy. The The real big test will be when um, when uh, Sammy Sosa is eligible and when Barry Bonds is eligible for the Hall of Fame. Once Barry Bonds is up there and eligible, that's going to be the real watershed. As it is, Mark McGuire, I don't think he'll ever get into the Hall of Fame. I, at least probably not. Not probably until the time when um, a lot of the older sports writers are gone that vote on the Hall of Fame. And a lot of the younger guys come in that just sort of go, nah, I don't really care about the steroid era. He was still good. And, you know, once those guys get in there and are writing, I think probably, I think he'll probably get in then. Or maybe when uh, it comes down to what the veterans committee or the old timers, whatever, the, the people that um, once you're no longer uh, eligible from the sports writers, once the other guys uh, start decide, once they uh, vote. So, all right. Uh, let's see who else was left off. Well, that's about it. Um, blah, 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 blah. You know, and the other argument is, well, you know, I don't know, man. Uh, oh, yeah, Ron Santo. Everybody makes the case for Ron Santo to be in the Hall of Fame. Look, he was not a Hall of Fame player. He was a good player for the Cubs. And, you know, he's, a, he's an interesting broadcaster, to say the least. He's kind of a cantankerous old coot. But uh, he's not a Hall of Fame player. He's just not. Sorry, his numbers just aren't good enough. He didn't even have 400 home runs. You know, he was a good player. The thing is, is that people have to remember, the one thing about the Hall of Fame is it's not the Hall of Very Good. It's not the Hall of Above Average. It's the Hall of Fame. It is reserved for the best of the best. The highest caliber players are put into the Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Fame. Ron Santo might get into the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster, <laughs> possibly. But he's definitely not getting into the Hall of Fame as a player. There's just, there's no way. And I, he didn't really get that much of the vote either. He uh, he should not be. Ray Lankford was on this? Oh my God, really? 
Ray Langford. The fact that Ray Langford is even on the list for the Hall of Fame is no. He, he wasn't even. He, how long was he even in the league? Let's see. Barry Larkin. Well, he. I think Barry Larkin. Now Barry Larkin. That's an interesting name. He might. Maybe he should be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe. But to me, if you're borderline, then you're not good enough for the Hall of Fame. You either are or you aren't. And the whole like, oh, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he is a Hall of Famer. No, you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. This first ballot crap, it is just that. It's crap. You're either good enough for the Hall of Fame or you're not good enough for the Hall of Fame. It's not like your resume is getting any better as the years go by. So I don't get why people are put in, well, uh, we're not going to put him in until like the third or fourth year. Why? Like, it's not like uh, Fred McGriff is going to get any more home runs. He's got 493 home runs now. He's going to have 493 home runs in 2015, 2020. This whole, ah, well, we can't put him in on the first ballot. That's just a, that's a dumb argument. Why should time have anything to do with whether or not a guy is eligible for the Hall of Fame and whether or not he's a Hall of Fame caliber player? Either you are or you aren't. Randy Johnson just retired two days ago, three days ago. That's a Hall of Fame caliber player. There's no doubt about it. He's second in all, second all time in strikeouts, 303 wins. Uh, he threw a perfect game, five Cy Youngs, a world championship, plus many other accomplishments, including uh, blowing up a, a bird, a pigeon. That for that alone, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care if 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 Armando Reynoso had blown up a pigeon, I would have said he should be in the Hall of Fame. The fact that a that is still the most amazing accomplishment that's ever happened on a baseball field. I realized it happened in a spring training game, but I don't care where it happened or when it happened. The fact that a bird just so happened to cross the path that Randy Johnson was throwing a pitch at that exact moment in time and space and get hit by one of Randy Johnson's fastballs and just blow up right there in a spring training game. And I, what was, I think that was against the Giants. What was that? In, I think that was in 2001, right? I mean, the fact that that actually happened, and that is still the most amazing thing maybe to ever happen in any, on any baseball field ever. I, I, that's just, that's incredible. All right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it really, it really is. You think about that. Of all the things, to, uh, that bird picked the absolute worst time to fly across the field. He could have flown anywhere. He didn't have to fly in that sixty-foot, six-inch space between the mound and the uh, and the and the plate. And of all the times to fly across there, it's Randy Johnson's winding up to deliver a ninety-eight mile an hour heater. <laughs> that bird, uh, to me, that's Hall of Fame right there. So I, uh, I applaud. Listen, and Randy Johnson, he does not have any sense of humor about that. You ask him about that, and um, he does not find that amusing at all. Randy thinks, uh, oh, you know, I didn't, he, he said, I didn't mean to do it. Well, of course he didn't mean to do it. If you tried to throw a fastball at a pigeon, you probably couldn't hit it. I mean, that bird just exploded, too.
At least I had one of life's great questions answered before I died. I was gonna, that was going to be one of the first questions I asked God. I, God, I have many questions, most of them involving women, but I think one of my first questions would be, God, what would it look like if a pigeon got hit by a 98-mile-an-hour fastball? And then God would say, well, here's what it would look like. All right, anyway, take a quick break and come back. I got to get into this David Brooks uh, article from the New York Times, this op-ed piece that he wrote. It's pretty snarky. That would be the best way to describe it. Uh, snarky doesn't even do it justice. Arrogance. The presuppositions that are involved here. Well, we'll get into it. Anyway, it's Michael Groff in exile for a Friday. Quick break and coming back. Number two here on Michael Graff in Exile. Want to get in touch with us, Mike at KMGX.com, my email address, or of course on AOL Instant Messenger. And the way to contact me there, Michael Graff Show. Let's see. Still perplexed at the global warming argument. I, I'm, I'm still kind of wondering how people make that argument. You know, there's every once in a while I go to the there's there's a couple guys that I know and like I see them whenever we have parties or whatever. My friends, uh, certain friends of mine have parties and there's a couple of guys that are there and um, this one guy he's. He's a super liberal guy, and he's uh, he's all about the global warming. And he's taken a couple of classes in college, so therefore he knows you know everything about climate. His professor tells him that global warming is the man caused global warming's real. I try to explain to him that climate is cyclical, and he's not having any of that. This that's the problem. At Here's uh, here's something. This this just has me seething. I have to tell you. So I set this up earlier. David Brooks, he's sort of the token 
conservative columnist over at uh, the New York Times. He's one of the few guys that's over there that's uh, kind of a conservative guy. And I don't even know how conservative he really is. But uh, he claims to be one. So I guess I guess that's going to have to be good enough for now. Well, anyway, he writes this, uh, this op-ed piece. And he's talking about the, the shift that the country is going through. I, I mentioned it off the top of the show that there's sort of a paradigm shift in this country right now. And the, the shift is that people have seen what a completely democratic-controlled country is, and they're already not liking it. They've seen it for a couple of years, and they're already kind of done with it. So the shift is sort of, it's the pendulum effect. And it goes on in this country all the time. Uh, the country gets too conservative, it swings back, kind of moderate, then it swings way liberal, and then people get sick of that and it swings back the other way. So we're, we're on the, the swing back now. We've swung all the way, we've swung to the left, and now we're swinging back toward the, uh, toward the middle. And we're swinging back toward conservative. And uh, this time, it, it seems like the, the swing is starting to happen pretty dramatically. We're picking up speed here. But David Brooks says, the public is not only shifting from left to right, every single idea associated with the educated class has grown more unpopular over the past year. David Brooks associates the, the left, he associates associate the idea of the Democrats with the, quote, educated class. This is his, I mean, just listen to the pompacity of sort of the, the, the idea that the, the liberal is the educated class. Here it is. The educated class believes in global warming, so public skepticism about global warming is on the rise. The educated class supports abortion rights, so public opinion is shifting against them. The educated class supports gun control, so opposition to gun control is mounting. So he's saying that it's not just liberal and conservative. He's saying that people that are more educated support abortion rights support the idea of global warming and support gun control. I, I guess the, the assumption here, the presupposition going into this is that if you're more educated, you support gun control, you support abortion rights, and you support the notion of global warming. Gee, I don't know. I, I went to college and I got, a, I got a degree or two out of the whole ordeal. I, I went to college for a while. I don't know. I, I, guess, I guess I'm educated. I mean, you know, I, I went through those, that damn... Uh, that damn book learning. And uh, I don't know. I, I really don't support global warming. I really don't believe in gun control. The story is the same in foreign affairs. The educated class is internationalist. So isolationist sentiment is now at an all-time high. Really? The educated class? So if you're more educated, you're all about internationalism. You're all about the global idea the collectivist culture hmm i didn't know that that was the case either i didn't know that people like if you have an engineering degree all of a sudden you're going to be uh, into the idea of internationalism global warming gun control hmm so the more edu so now he's saying that yeah so since since more educated people allegedly more allegedly educated people are into gun control. People are now taking a stand against it. It's uh, sort of the, uh, the, the rebel philosophy. The angry teenager rebelling against their parent philosophy. That's what he's arguing. I say that the basis for his argument is stupid. Anyway, according to a Pew Research Center survey, the educated class believes in multilateral action. 
So the number of Americans who believe we should go our own way has risen sharply. A year ago, the Obama supporters were the passionate ones. Now the Tea Party Brigade have all the intensity. The Tea Party movement is large. Now, wait, I should point out that the reason that the Obama people are, are not screaming so loudly now is because they won. They have the power now. But this, the, the other point is the reason that they're not quite as intense or quite as out there or in your face anymore is because they, it's pretty hard to be in your face about somebody's talking about hope and change. It's Imagine an Obama supporter getting in your face now going, yeah, how about that 10% unemployment? Yeah, he's doing a great job. I mean, it's not like the Obama people could really get all that intense or all that passionate right now. Man, he's doing a great job. Look at that stock market. Whoa. I mean, I don't, I don't exactly see the Obama supporters like cheering him on right now. It's like, man, look at that 44% approval rating. Woo. Man, look at that $12 trillion debt. Look at that $2 trillion deficit for the upcoming fiscal year. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, how people really envisioned it. It's kind of like how if you go to a game, like like when I go to the Suns games, I, I remember one time I went to a Suns-Lakers game. The Lakers were uh, ahead by, I don't know, 15 early on in the game. And Laker fans were just, oh, man, they were boisterous. And you thought they were winning the NBA title right there. Yeah, Lakers, you know, they were just carrying on in your face. But like typical L.A. sports fans especially. You know, the Suns made a comeback. Suns got ahead and they wound up winning the game. It's amazing how quiet the Laker fans were while the Suns were whooping their ass. It was amazing. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop out of these Laker fans. Not one of them opened their mouth. They just sat there shaking their head or every once in a while they'd be like, man, that's a BS call, man. You know, and just uh, that's the kind of, so that's where we're at right now. Right now, uh, Team Obama is getting its ass kicked. Right now, uh, the country is sort of seeing uh, the fact that uh, we're, we're losing. The country is losing right now. So uh, the, the Obama folks are not all up in your face. But anyway, continuing with the, uh, the article. The Tea Party movement is large. Fractious, con uh, fractious confederation of, of Americans um, who are defined by what they are against. They're against the concentrated power of the educated class. They believe big government, big business, big media, and the affluent professionals are merging to form a self-serving oligarchy with bloated government, unsustainable, unsustainable deficits, high taxes, and intrusive regulation. The Tea Party movement is mostly famous for its flamboyant fringe, but it is now more popular than either major party, according to the NBC News Wall Street uh, poll, which showed 41% of Americans have a positive view of the Tea Party movement, and only 35% of Americans have a positive view of Democrats or Republicans. Anyway, the movement is especially popular among independents. So he goes on, but I, I just love his point here. Again, let me just reiterate. These are his points about, about uh, the, the ideas that are out there. He says, the educated class believe in global warming. So therefore, public skepticism of global warming is on the rise. The educated class believes in abortion rights. Huh. All right, well... That's, that's his take on it, I guess. So uh, I guess the, the idea here then is if you're part of the opposition, you know, this is a simple if A, then B. Like if you're against gun control, 
then you're not part of the educated class because he says the educated class believes in gun control. So if like I'm sitting here um, and I believe in, I, I don't believe in gun control, then I guess, I guess I'm not part of the educated class, according to David Brooks. And that's why uh, Obama right now is, uh, that's why there's a dramatic shift from the left to the right. So I guess if we take this, this article, if we take this guy's uh, editorial to its logical conclusion, the logical conclusion is opposition is rising. The country is shifting from the left to the right. And that means that the shift is by people who are not of the educated class. Because if the educated class believes in gun control and the country is shifting away from that, that means that more people, that, that we're just not part of the educated class, the people that are shifting. We're shifting to a less educated culture. Huh. Well, that's a very interesting view. It's a very long-winded way of telling us all to shut up. That's basically, that's basically been the, the point, the sort of overall tone of, the, uh, of, of those folks uh, that oppose the Tea Party people. The, the Democrats that were out there that just said, oh, this is just, you know, these are these birthers and these uh, Tea Party people, these tea baggers, these, all these people just shut up. Just shut up. You know, we, we don't care about your opposition. Well, how much do you not care about their opposition now? You know, how much are you against them now? Now that you see the empire is starting to crumble a little bit. Now that you see that things are starting to not go your way anymore. Hmm. Well, just some of the unfortunate comments from one David Brooks at the New York Times. Thanks for that, David. Certainly that. That'll help us all out. That uh, more polarizing rhetoric right there. Good stuff. All right. Well, I think what we'll do here, take a quick break, come back and have segment number three. Why not? I mean, might as well, right? No need to break tradition now, I suppose. I'm a one way it's Michael Groff in exile. I'm a road that away. And there's more coming up. You back home. A sudden uh, congestion, apparently. When things start to feel right, you can count on me to start to. Yes, it is Friday, January the 8th, 2010. My my grandma Bird, my grandma on my mother's side, turns 90 years old today. She shares the birthday with Elvis. I mean, Elvis, younger, but. 
Yeah, my grandma has sort of the, the edge because she's still alive, see? So take that, Elvis. Yeah. I don't know. People in my family, they either die at like 60 or they live to about 100. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. Like if you can make it past about age 60 in my family, you're good. You're golden. You're going to make it. But uh, if you can't make it that far, then... But then you're, you're like many people, like my dad. And I had a couple of uncles die young. But then everybody else is like 100. And that's the other thing. It's like you're either completely healthy throughout life, basically... Or you have nothing but medical problem after medical problem after medical. There's no, like, happy medium. Our family is, uh, it's, it's an extreme. It's one extreme or the other. I sound like I get voice documentaries today. Hey, uh, got the, got the growly, nasally voice going on today. Had a little allergy attack there. All right. Let's get to a few other things here, and then we will bounce down out the door. Um, should do the NFL picks now. I, I'll tell you what. Let's let me get to this first. This is a um, bit of a stupid news story, and this would be a uh, well. This would be an example of what not to do as a police officer. from Orlando. An Orlando police officer has been charged with false imprisonment and battery after a young mother told investigators that he fondled her breast and squeezed milk from it outside a downtown Orlando nightclub. Not a good way to uh, have a long sustained career as a cop. Uh, Unless you're in Iraq, of course, then I guess that's acceptable over there. But Brandon Reed Loverd or Laverty, uh, 31, Uh, was working an off-duty detail in uniform at Firestone Live. He ordered ordered, uh, Rochelle Cortez, now 21, to follow him into a parking lot at the rear of a nearby business and made her sit on the ground, according to authorities. Laverde left with Cortez's cell phone and identification card and returned with a bottle of water for her and a blue latex glove on his right hand. Wow. He then squatted in front of her, reached inside her bra, and squeezed her right breast until milk squirted into his glove, the report says. Her breasts were full because she's nursing her children, she told investigators. Quote, Officer Laverty told her he wanted to, quote, suck on them, the report says. This guy's weird. Uh, (laughs) Laverty turned himself Uh, into the Orange County Jail Thursday morning. Uh, He was released two hours later after posting $5,500 in bail. He was then ordered not to have contact with Cortez. The the three-year Orlando officer uh, was uh, relieved of off-duty on December 17, uh, the day the incident was reported to police. He will not return until the criminal case is resolved, a department spokesman said. Uh, I I have a feeling this guy's going to hopefully be going to jail, and maybe somebody in jail will be squeezing his breasts in an attempt to get milk. And I'm sure that's not the only thing they'll be squeezing. What a sick way to really help people with their uh, fear of the police there, guy. Nice job. 
Cortez of Melbourne, uh, her sister and some friends had driven to the club to attend a concert by the electro pop group LMFAO on December 14. There's a group called LMFAO. <laughs> See what they did there? They named themselves after a popular piece of internet slang. Huh, that's cute. The groping incident, which investigators say happened about 10 p.m., became public Thursday when Laverty was charged. A surveillance camera in the parking lot uh, where Cortez said she was held um, corroborates her and her friend's version of events, at least in part. It shows Cortez following Laverty between two parked cars and sitting on the ground out in public view. On December 23rd, Cortez uh, submitted to a lie detector test. By the way, she passed. A bouncer ejected Cortez from Firestone Live uh, that night uh, in question after warning her about dancing over a yellow line in front of the stage. So I guess she got thrown out of the club because she was dancing too close to the stage. And that's when this officer came by and decided to have his way with her. Nice job. Well, there's, there's a guy who's only going to get the best treatment when he goes to jail. You can, you can count on that. All right, let's move on to this. Uh, lighten it up just a little bit and get into the NFL playoffs. Wild Card Weekend. The NFL playoffs are underway. The 2009-2010 playoffs. And we have four games to choose from this weekend. Which, of course, I will provide with my analysis. And, for entertainment purposes only, will provide uh, the picks against the spread as well. This is interesting. Um, I've, I've been trying to analyze all these games. I don't know, man. I... Let's start, first of all, with uh, Saturday's games. You've got uh, the New York Jets going on the road to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, these, this is a rematch of a Week 17 game in which the Jets thumped the Bengals. And a game where the Bengals admittedly really weren't playing anybody, and the Jets had to. They had to win that game to get into the postseason. Well, the... Uh, the Bengals are two-and-a-half-point favorites. I like the road team here. I, I'm going to take the Jets. Don't really need the points, but I'm going to take the points anyway. Jets plus two-and-a-half. Give me the New York Jets. Listen, Cincinnati hasn't shown me anything most of the season offensively. I, I'm not afraid of their offense, and the Jets have a very good defense. Um, I, in fact, I think they're uh, overall, they're ranked number one in the NFL, the Jets defense. So I, I like the Jets. They've quietly had a very nice defensive season. It's their offense that has issues. Uh, so defensively, uh, I like the Jets here. I, I, Cincinnati, I think 10 times this year, they failed to score more than 20 points. And they've been shut down by the, the more elite teams in the league have, uh, have really had their way with the Bengals. I mean, they played a very close game against the Chargers earlier this year. That was the game. I remember watching that game, 27-24. They lost that. But, uh, you know, the Vikings took it to them. Yeah, they did have that blowout victory. They had a couple of huge blowouts against teams like the Bears. But, you know, it's the Bears. So, whatever. All right, moving on to uh, the later game. Saturday, the 8 p.m. Eastern game. It's uh, Philadelphia at Dallas. Oh, God, I... I 
I really hate the Cowboys, and I really don't want to pick them in this game. So you know what? I'm not going to. I'm going to take the Eagles plus three and a half in this game. I uh, I, I admit that I think I, I think it's going to be tough. This is a do-or-die game for Donovan McNabb. I mean, this is... He's been around a long time. This is really his opportunity to to, to take it to the next level, go on. Uh, you know, he's had some monumental disappointments in the playoffs before. Uh, they couldn't get past Arizona last year. You know, he he played a, a pretty decent game in the Super Bowl in 2004, but he's, you know, this is, I think Philadelphia fans, I think this is sort of the, the make or break finally for Donovan McNabb, and this is going to be the end of it if he um, if he can't get it done. And if he can't, then he will have that. He'll finally uh, probably have fully earned that rep of a guy that can't get it done. So this this is a big game, especially in the career of Donovan McNabb. So uh, give me the Eagles plus three and a half here over the Cowgirls. And then the Sunday games, the early game, uh, the 1 p.m. Eastern game, that's Baltimore at New England. Now, let me just say that this is this is probably... Well, I can't say it's the hardest game on the board to pick, but because the game following is, but this is a this is a really tough game. Listen, no Wes Welker for the Patriots. I don't think that's necessarily going to matter. You've got a lot of guys that uh, this that you can plug in there. The problem is this is not the Patriots teams that have won Super Bowl after Super Bowl. Okay, this is not the the early part of the previous decade. This is not the early two thousands version of the uh, Patriots which were so dominant, or even the team that went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Giants. This is this is somewhat of a watered-down team. Uh, Randy Moss missed practice yesterday for no apparent reason, according to Bill Belichick. I don't know what that means. I don't know if he's going to play today. I, I'm sure he will. Um, I know there's there's been several guys that, that do have injuries. Uh, the, the Patriots are definitely banged up here. The Ravens' defense, not quite what it used to be, but still a good defense Regardless, it is in Foxborough. The Patriots are still the Patriots. They're still tough to beat. Bill Belichick is still the game planner that he is. I like the Patriots minus three in this game. I really, you know, think they'll just win straight up anyway. So I, I don't, uh, let's see. So the Patriots minus three, that's that game. And then, of course, finally, the um, 4.40 p.m. Eastern time game on Sunday. Green Bay at Arizona. Now, Believe me when I tell you I want to go with the homer pick here. I want to do it. I, I want to lay out a a great reason why I think the Cardinals will win this game. But they've already played twice this year. And, and really, the two games that these two teams have played against each other were both meaningless games. One was in the preseason in which the Packers put up about a million points. And then the Cardinals made this valiant effort, this valiant comeback with Matt Leinart at quarterback. He threw out, out over 360 yards in that game. And the, I mean, the Arizona Cardinals, they went to for a two-point conversion late in that, in that game. That was in the preseason, but they still lost. Then in uh, the regular season, last weekend, week 17, this is another week 17 matchup. Uh, they, look, the Cardinals played a terrible game. They didn't, they didn't really play anybody, especially in the second half. They just sort of laid down for the Packers. Uh, and I think Ken Wisenut now acknowledges that he wished he had played it differently. But did the question is, did the Packers show too much last weekend? The Packers really didn't need to win that game. The Cardinals absolutely didn't need to win that game. But this then begs the question, can the Cardinals... I mean, look, 
are they just capable of flipping a switch, turning it on? Look, they, they, they've had some very uh, disappointing games. And I could make the argument that the Cardinals haven't played a, a decent game from start to finish in a month. Not since they played the Vikings on Monday night did they, um, or Sunday night, did they uh, play a great game? Did they just throw it down? Did they uh, have a game where they dominated their opponent from start to finish? And that's pretty much what they did with the Minnesota Vikings. But then after that, look, they played the the one and, well, at the time they were, I think, one and 13 St. Louis Rams. They beat them. I don't know. They, they had, and then, of course, they had that terrible, just disappointing loss to the Niners where they lost 24 to nine on Monday night. That was, that was a brutal game to watch. They had what? seven turnovers in that game. I think they had 10 fumbles. I really think, and wow, it was, that was a terrible game. And then, and then they lost to the Packers. You could say they really haven't played a meaningful game where they have dominated their opponents start to finish in, uh, in a month. That's kind of like the new Orleans saints as well. I don't know the Packers defense. I, Listen, I'm not I'm not a big Aaron Rodgers guy. I know he's had a nice season, but I'm not really sold on Aaron Rodgers. But the one thing about the Packers is they don't turn the ball over, and that's that's huge. And the card and, and by the way, not only do they not turn the ball over, the Packers force a lot of turnovers, and that's an area that the Cardinals have had troubles with this year, especially you look at guys like uh, Timmy Hightower, you know, uh, Beanie Wells, these guys can't hold on to the football. And, and Kurt Warner has had that tendency to not be able to hold on to the football as well. So you've got, you've got that working against them as well. So I got to tell you, I got to pick Green Bay in this game. It's a pick em game. Green Bay is minus 115 on the board. So uh, this is just, there's no point spread here. That's a pick em. So I'm, I'm reluctantly going to have to take the Packers. And believe me, I hate myself for it because on my list of hated uh, hated teams in sports, the Packers are like number five. Anybody that knows me, you know what my my most hated team is the San Antonio Spurs. Second, the the Los Angeles Lakers. Third, the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you know it's it's like that order right there. Spurs, Lakers, Cowboys. But then Yankees are fourth and then fifth, the Green Bay Packers hate the Green Bay Packers. Can't stand them. But I have to pick them in this game. Unfortunately, I, I'm believe me, I'll be rooting for the Cardinals. I really want the Cardinals to win this game. I really want Kurt Warner to show up. I, I, I hope Anquan Bolden is actually able to play in this game, but I don't think he's going to be able to Larry Fitzgerald. I, I look, I, I hope he has uh 11 catches for 185 yards and three touchdowns. Okay, I hope, I really hope that that happens. But at the same time, I, I just don't see it. Um, I don't see the Cardinals being able to run the ball very well against the Packers. Uh, they Again, they force a lot of turnovers. This game, to me, it, it looks a little lopsided, quite honestly. I, I think this is a game that could get away from Arizona pretty quickly. I think the Packers could win this one uh, something like 31 Thirty-one sixteen. I see the. I see something like that going down. So that's my analysis for this weekend. Uh, at least on the Packer game. Hope I'm wrong. I definitely hope I'm wrong. But I. That's. That's where I see it going. All right. Well, that's uh, that's the NFL picks against the spread this weekend. Coincidentally, those would be the same picks if I just picked the straight up game too, because the spreads are very close. Um, and I, I hope for a lot of good games as well. And I'll. I don't know. Maybe I'll sneak over to a bar and watch the games this uh 
Watch them starting at, uh, what time is the first game on today? Or tomorrow? Let's see, I got to look at this again. Let me see. Uh, first game is on at 4.30. So 2.30, 2.30 uh, local time here tomorrow. All right, I'm down for that. Anyway, that about wraps it up. Another uh, exciting edition of Michael Graff in Exile. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week. We'll try and keep this thing going. Look, I, I really do appreciate you checking us out, keeping the show going. I really don't know how many people even listen to the, uh, to the broadcast. I, I truly don't. But if you are listening, if you do enjoy it, let me know. We're uh, always up and available on... Uh, IRC, you can join us in our IRC chat channel. It's uh, EFNet IRC. The channel is Net Radio. Actually, there's a link to the IRC channel on michaelgroff.com. And on michaelgroff.com, you can always get our other contact information, including the email address, mike at kmgx.com. That same address, by the way, just, just to sort of clue you in, is also my PayPal address. So if you want to uh, make a nice generous contribution to the to the program you're certainly welcome to do so it helps me uh, stay alive it helps me eat mike at kmgx.com the paypal address as well also on aol instant messenger michael groff show the screen name certainly would encourage you to participate that way And uh, so much more. All right. I'm going to go take a Zyrtec. And uh, try and get the stuffiness out of my head. Allergies are, uh, well, believe me, allergies are no fun. And it's chilly in here. This global warming, I'll tell you what. If, if this global warming doesn't stop, I'm going to freeze to death. It suddenly got cold in here. I hope I'm not getting sick. Maybe I've got the uh, maybe I've got the swine flu, or the SARS, or the avian flu, or one of those media-hyped bugs. All right, we're back next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the NFL playoffs, and we'll see you Monday.